Parents, you know this. One of the most beautiful, heart-melting kinds of things is when your child starts talking. And they want to be held. They want to be held. Um, they sort of innately learn to say this to the parents. Like Sophie says, hold you. So what if they get the pronoun wrong, right? It's not hold, it's, it's hold you, you know? And I know what she's saying, but it's, it's really profound, simple but profound. Because essentially, she lifts her hands and she says, I, I, I want to be held. It's, it's an act of utter and total dependence and surrender, right? A child to the parent. I've always found the worship act of hand-raising uncomfortable. Partly because of my tradition, Asian-American, more conservative, you know, that thing. But also because it is a profound expression of something you and I hate doing, which is acknowledging our utter and total weakness and vulnerability to another. It's, you know, partly what we're talking about today. Um, Open your Bibles to Genesis 32. Um, We are going to finish this short three-part sermon series that we've been on. And this, (laughs) y'all got to stop cracking on your pastor. You know what I'm saying? Michael, what is that? Six part, seven part? Man, we're ending it today. I promise you. You know, you may be here until one, but we are going to finish two. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm going to get you real hungry so they could enjoy lunch. Genesis 32. Now, uh, it's verse 22 and on, but, but everybody look up here for a second. The story that we've been, we've been journeying and studying is, is about the journey of a man who finally meets God as he is. And I know that just doesn't sound profound at all, but, but my experience has been that many of us, a lot of times, don't want to encounter God as he is, not as we want him to be. Because encountering God as he is, it takes guts, man. It takes courage. It takes a certain amount of, you know, mm. And the reason is, as we've been studying, encountering God is like intense what? Say it with me. Wrestling. It's like intense wrestling. It's an intense fight. Wrestling God, is a, it's not a seminar. It's not, you know, a, a comfortable day at the spa. Encountering God is painful. Encountering God feels like our life is being wrecked. Encountering God will, will sometimes, and maybe all the times, cause us to walk away with the limp. Encountering God does that to us. When we encounter him as he is, not necessarily as he wants him to be. Uh, honestly, for how many of you, is that good news? Yeah, we'll get to that. You know, you know, you know, what's, what's, uh, well, we'll get to that. Okay, so Jacob's entire life has been leading up to this point, right? Summary of his life. Last time, I'm going to summarize it. He spends his entire life trying to gain by human effort what God intended to give him anyway, which was the blessing, the promise that he would, he would be in charge of the inheritance, the birthright, the, 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 the one to whom the messianic line would continue. But in that journey, because he doesn't trust God, Jacob lives up to his name. The word Jacob literally means wrestler, grappler, supplanter, deceiver. Someone who's always trying to get the upper hand. And so he's lived his entire life living up to his name so that he can get what, what he thinks is coming to him by human effort. And so when we come to 22, verse 22 of 32, here's what's happened. Jacob has deceived his brother by deceiving his Good Lord, old ailing father who can't see, you know. And so he deceives his father and he steals the birthright. And of course, his brother doesn't take that kindly because remember we talked, Jacob is a what? He's a man's man. He says, oh, nobody's going to do that to me. So he says, I will kill him when my father dies. And so Jacob has to run from everything that he works for, everything that he's wanted, he has to run. It's been 21 years. Jacob is now a successful, independent, wealthy man, and he's coming back home to encounter his brother. And it's the night before he has to encounter his brother, and he hears that his brother is coming at him with 400 armed men. And that could mean anything. But one of the things that could mean is that his brother is still angry and wants to kill him. 
So Jacob being Jacob says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to separate my family and my livestock into small groups, and I'm going to send them in waves so that my brother would be appeased of his anger. Verse 22 of Genesis 32. Here's what happens. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men, and you've overcome. Jacob said, please, tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Today, as we conclude our short series, I'm going to hammer away at this obvious and yet the most profound insight from this passage, and that is that God wrestles with Jacob and not the other way around. You need to get this. God wrestles with Jacob. God picks a fight with Jacob. God initiates with Jacob and not the other way around. Jacob doesn't wrestle with God because he wants to. Jacob is wrestling with God because he is forced to. God has him in a headlock and will not let him go. Jacob wrestles with God because he is forced to. This story isn't about religion. This story isn't about, you know, maybe what we've typically heard. The moral of the story is we too must wrestle with God for the things that we want. We must do wrestle with God and get the blessing from God. And so persevere in prayer. If that's your approach to this story, this story will get you angry. You tracking so far? This story will get you angry. This story will make no sense. Because if your whole approach to life is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I obey, therefore I am loved. Then when God wrestles you down, when God puts you in a headlock, when God says, you are not going anywhere, you're either going to be mad at God and saying, look at all that I do for you. I obey. I I do all the rules. I'm a good person. I serve. I don't deserve this. Or you're going to be mad at yourself and saying, what am I not doing right? Where did I mess up? Where did I trip up? What could I have done more? God wrestles with Jacob, not Jacob wrestling with God. And this story teaches us that even though God loves us, especially those that God loves, God will force you to engage him in wrestling. Maybe the most obvious story, did you notice? God doesn't consult Jacob. God didn't come to Jacob and go, Jacob, want to wrestle? <laughs> There's no consultation, is there? God, Jacob's mind his own business, going about his thing, and God just says, I'm going to wrestle you. Difference between gospel and religion is that when we come to grips with the fact that God often forces us to engage him, And he doesn't consult us. And come on, can we be honest? Let's really be honest. How many of you guys would ask God for this? How many of y'all sitting there going, God, I would love that. I would love that. I would love an entire night of you picking a fight, wrestling with me. And oh, by the way, so much pain that I walk away with limp. How many of us would ask for this? Honestly. Answer? Not me. Chris, thank you for being honest. I wouldn't. You know what's funny is when people say, I'm wrestling with God. You know what they usually mean? Check this out. When people say, I'm really wrestling with God about this, it means that I have a need. I have a huge need, and God's not coming through. So if God doesn't come through, I could either, you know, choose to obey him, choose to serve him, choose to worship him, or if he doesn't come through, well, God then forgets you. And so many of us go, I'm struggling with God. You're not struggling with God. You're struggling with yourself. 
and you're still in control. Because when it gets a little too hot, a little too hot in the kitchen, a little too intense, you just go, ah, no thank you, and you can walk away. When God wrestles you down, you can't walk away. (laughs) Come on. Can you, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Raise your hands. God doesn't, absolutely, this is a common human experience. We don't walk around saying, God, it'd be nice, you know, to kind of wrestle me down. God says, I will not consult you. I'm going to come and wrestle you down. Story reminds us that we have a God who wrestles us and just can't walk away. And you don't ask for it, hello, and you don't like it. And if you have it your way, you wouldn't, you'd want to do without it because all of a sudden your life is thrown into chaos, confusion, anxiety, pain, turmoil. It literally feels like God is sort of assaulting you, you know, got you in a headlock at night. And you have absolutely no control. And it's painful. And it feels like your life is being wrecked. By the way, if you're sitting there today going, why did I come to church for this? <laughs> I need to ask you, stay till the end, okay? I hate that people come and go, oh, I've heard enough. And you walk and you miss the most glorious part, which is God. So stay, okay? Stay. I'm going to kind of ratchet up the temperature, but then, but then, oh, oh, I talk about Jesus. Oh, man. Why are you all laughing? You know where I'm going with this. Have you come to grips with the fact that God is an untamed God? Have you come to grips with the fact that as C.S. Lewis says, God is an untamed God, a safe God? Who said anything about being safe? But he's good, I tell you. He's good. Have you come to grips with an untamed God who doesn't behave like you want him to or you expect him to? He behaves the way he is, and he's there. Listen, let me say this. If you and I close our minds to everything about God that makes us uncomfortable, we are going through empty motions when we pray. If you and I close our minds to everything about God that makes us uncomfortable, here's what we're doing. We are fashioning God in our own image. We are fashioning God to how we want him to. And that comforts us. But I tell you that God will never change you. That God will never transform you. How can a God that you've made up change your heart we have to see him as he is and one thing that we saw last week michael since you weren't here you know it's a review brief review nice quick recap is that this text tells us one of these uncomfortable things about god that we need to look at is that god often has to wrestle us into a transformed life rather than comfort us into a transformed life God has to wrestle us into a transformed life rather than comfort us. It's hard not to notice that the story is primarily about Jacob getting a name change. And by the way, a name change in Old Testament in Scripture is not just a name change. It's a change in identity, who you are. God changes Jacob. And not his name, his identity. He goes from Jacob, meaning wrestler, grappler, trickster, deceiver, to Israel, which means God rules, God perseveres, God protects. But how is Israel formed? How is Jacob brought forth? How is this new identity brought forth? Notice about it. Notice this. He's not consulted about it. Matter of fact, look at the text carefully. Look at verse 26. Have your Bibles open because we're going we're gonna to just tear this passage apart. The whole night, Jacob isn't wrestling this mysterious figure in order to get away. The whole night, if you will, guys, is Jacob's exercise in trying to avoid God. He's trying to avoid God at all costs. But in verse 26, Jacob says, I will not let you go. He's changed his entire perspective and approach towards this night as he wrestles with God. He says, I now know who you are, and I cannot, I will not let you go. When did that happen? It happened at the moment of Happen at the moment of weakness. It happens at the moment of. <gasps> he's not holding on to God because, you know, unless he, he's like little and he's like a physical, you know, he's holding on to God because he knows who this is now and he says, I will not let you go at the moment of pain. Last week after I preached on this, a couple folks, parents of a student, comes running up and they're just. <laughs> Please don't do that to me, okay? Because when you do that, I go, <laughs> so don't, don't do that, okay? So they come up, and they're, just, they can't, they're hardly able to talk. They're just, they're just bawling their eyes out, and they're just barely kind of getting words out. And he starts sharing about how 
he has gone through a major, major change in his life. And, and, and it's, he didn't go into it, but it's visible that it's, it's a very painful, painful thing. And he says to me, he says, I want you to know that I know God more deeply now than I ever have. And see, I appreciate that because those of us in our 20s, what I'm talking about, many of you are like, that's a bunch of BS. What pain to know? It's amazing because when you talk to somebody who's lived life, they understand. Look, I have never met someone who had absolute joy in God, absolute joy in God, who didn't say I needed pain before I could experience that absolute joy. I have a good friend in our church who's been in addiction recovery for years, and he sent a quote. He said, someone said that pain is the touchstone of all spiritual progress. Pain is the touchstone of all spiritual progress. Here's a man who's dealt with addiction for 20 plus years, and he says, amen, God wrestles us into a transformed life. Religion says, if God loves me, he wouldn't let me go through that. I obey. The gospel says, Jesus Christ loves you just the way you are. But Jesus Christ loves you too much to let you stay just the way you are. Well, Peter, though, well, why, why does he have to do the, the, the whole pain thing, though, you know? disappointment. Why? Why? Why, can't, why, could, why can't God just, you know, come and show up and put on the lights, you know? Why didn't God just send a prophet, a messenger just to tell Jacob, right? Why does God come in the dark? Why does God have to wrestle him down? Why does God hurt him? Why does God put him in agony? And why, do God, why does God do it gradually? I shared this last week. As a parent, you know what I'm realizing? I'm realizing that, that, that as I see my children, my child, and I see lack of wisdom, a lack of humility, and lack of love in them. And I see, boy, this is going to get them into trouble later on. And I so desperately want to intervene and give them the information they need. Oh, if I only had the power to do that. You know, Parker, let me show you a picture of what you're going to be like when you're 18 years old, if you keep acting like that. Well, God had that power. God had that power with Jacob. God could have showed up and, and sent the power, showed up himself and says, Jacob, let me tell you something. You continue down this path of conniving, deceiving, manipulating, lying, cheating your way. You are going to get yourself into trouble, young man. Okay? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to destroy people's relationships. You're going to destroy yourself. So I want you to know what your life is going to be. Look at that. <gasps> you don't want to go there, so stop it. But God doesn't do that. Why? As a parent, I'm realizing that the problems that are caused by a lack of humility Lack of love, lack of wisdom. The problems are oftentimes the only thing that will teach that child wisdom, humility, and love. So God wrestles us into a transformed life. There's something about you and me. Because we're not computers and we're not animals. We are creatures made in the image of God that those things can't just be programmed in. Greatness can't be zapped in. Greatness can't be, you know, information in. Greatness has to be wrestled in. Sometimes through pain. Sometimes through suffering. God makes you great gradually and through pain and through suffering. But he'll make you great. That's his promise. And God always keeps his promises. Let's finish this story today. The most obvious thing about this story, take a look at your Bible, is the issue of the outcome. The most astounding paradoxical part of this is the outcome. It's a wrestling match. Somebody's got to win. Now, I know some of you hardcore wrestlers out there go, there could be a draw, right? There could be a tie. No, somebody has to win. Somebody must win. By the way, last week after I sent this, Nate, <laughs> I love that guy. He goes, in case you want to use more, you know, things about wrestling. And he sends me like these six, seven, like deep insights about wrestling, you know. I'm just like, whoa. And if you know Nate, you know what I'm talking about. But somebody has to win. And as soon as you begin to ask that text, let me ask you, who wins? Who, who wins? 
Huh? Okay, let's take, let's take a poll. How many of y'all say God won? Raise your hand. We, we play this game together, okay? All right. How many of y'all say our church is so L-A-M-E? Okay. Um, how many of y'all say Jacob won? Okay. Look at the text. Look at the text, okay? I'm not going to tell you exactly who won yet, but look at the text. It's almost paradoxical because when you ask the question of who won, it seems like a contradiction because in one place it says that, the, it says that, that God could not overcome Jacob. That's powerful. God could not, what? Overcome Jacob. And there's another place where God says, let me go. So on the one end, it seems like God isn't any more powerful than Jacob, right? God isn't any more powerful than Jacob. And yet when the man saw that he could not overpower him, God comes along. And by the way, the Hebrew word there for touch is literally not took a stick and wah! Or uh! Literally the Hebrew word is ting. God comes along and says ting. Hip dislocated, crippled and lame, can't walk. So who won? Someone says, Jacob won. But when you look at this story, or God won. And when you look at this story, God says, I don't know, Jacob, you won. God gets up. <laughs> Imagine this text. Jacob, he's in pain. God says, all right, you won. Okay. God walks away. And Jacob's like, wah, wah, wah. Who won? Here it is. Ready? They both won. Listen, listen, listen. They both won, but they both won by losing. They both won by losing. What do I mean? Let's unpack this, Jacob. By the way, this is the essence of the gospel, and this is how you're going to have a life-transforming encounter with God. And you understand it. Look how Jacob went through losing. Jacob at first doesn't know who this stranger is. And he's trying to win by strength. How is he trying to win by strength? When you're locked in a wrestling match with a stranger who you think is going to destroy you and harm you, the way you win by strength is you either kill him and you get away or you escape. So the whole night, Jacob is trying all his might to escape, to win. Hours and hours all night. And yet he can't. Finally, it begins to dawn on him that this is God. This isn't just a man. Where does he realize? How does he realize? When does he realize that this is God and not man? Two things. Number one, the... <laughs> I'm glad you all with me today. First is the... Ding. Okay? First is the ting. And ultimately, Jacob realizes this is a being of an enormous amount of power. And the whole night, he's been holding his power down. He realized that this man could have incinerated me utterly. Second thing that happens for Jacob to realize that this is God is that God says, this is so cool, you guys. God says, let me go for it is daybreak. And when you look at verse 30, you see what Jacob meant. He says, I've seen the face of God and I, yet I lived. I survived to tell about it. This is preview to Exodus. Jacob knows that nobody sees the face of God, sees the face of God, encounters God, and is able to live. And yet Jacob says, I saw the face of God, and yet I lived. He realized this is God. And what does Jacob do? Jacob holds on, and he says, bless me. You're God. I know you're God. Bless me. Bless me. And God says, I will bless you. And what does God do? God shows Jacob his face, and the penny is dropping. The penny is dropping. His entire life, Jacob is about the blessing. And God is saying to Jacob, the blessing you've sought after is right in front of you. The blessing you've sought for is right in front of you, idiot. Wake up! The blessing you've sought for all your life, Jacob, is here. Me, the glory of God, the face of God, the name of God, the glory of God, the beauty of God. The blessing is right here. What does Jacob do? He holds on. Do you know why many of us don't know how to be alone with God? I talked about this last week. Do you know how, why many of us, when we go to meet God alone, when we want to pray, many of us, after like five minutes, we run out of things to say, and it's like, do-do-do, unless we are really, really worried about something, at which point, you know, five minutes goes to like 15 minutes. Do you know why? Because many of us, our approach to prayer is this. 
How do I go to prayer in God and get God to give me the thing that I really need to make me happy? How do I go to prayer and ask God to give me the blessing, the blessing that I need in order to make me happy? That's how Jacob prayed all of his life, and that's how we go to God. We put God at a distance. It's a whole exercise in avoiding God. And yet when Jacob is struck and Jacob sees the face of God, he experiences life transformation. How do we know? He does two things. If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, these two things are the most critical things to me to walk away with when we look at this passage. First of all, Jacob is transformed because he changes his life strategy. He changes the strategy of his life. He does, look at the text. Here's what he does on strategy. First thing that Jacob does is he grabs hold of God and he refuses to let him go. Anybody ever have a finger dislocated? Anybody? Okay. This is so embarrassing. I, uh, I, was, I was making some uh, dinner for my wife and family this week. And I was cutting some bread, you know. I didn't bake the bread. It was bought bread. And I was cutting it. And I cut my finger, my thumb. Okay, like a small, tiny slice of flesh. I, I, don't, I don't do well with pain. I'm not even exaggerating. Jenny, she, could, she was outside playing with her, and it, and it, it cut. And it's not like it's dangling. You know, it's a small slice. I said, Jenny, Jenny, come in. Come inside. My wife is like, what? What's going on? Come inside. I cut my finger. Oh, my God. Oh, that's not the funny part right the funny part is of course I get it bandaged up right and I don't know if you guys realize but we use our thumbs a lot did you know that (laughs) I didn't who knew right so I'm trying to button I'm like oh my gosh I can't button my shirt (laughs) you know and I'm washing my face I'm going "I, I, I can't When we dislocate a finger, it's painful. Now check this out. His entire left, right side, left, right, and actually it doesn't say, right? His entire hip is utterly dislocated. He is in enormous pain. And yet what does he do? He chooses in pain to hold on. You, you know what that tells us? Here's the principle. We'll unpack it. It's a lot more courageous and it takes a lot more greatness to repent than to complain. It takes a lot more courage, a lot more greatness to repent than to complain. What do I mean? Let's unpack this a little bit. There are two themes in Jacob's life that are reflected by two words in this narrative that show us that all of Jacob's sort of life are coming together. The first word is in verse 24. In Hebrew, it literally says a man came and Jacob with him. Did you know that? In Hebrew, it literally says, a man came and Jacob with him. You can't really tell in English, but it comes suddenly in Hebrew because the word for Jacob is the word what? For wrestle. And so literally the text is saying, a man came and is out Jacobing Jacob. He's out Jacobing Jacob. Jacob's whole life, whole life, his name, wrestler. He's a grasper. He's a grappler. Always trying to get the upper hand, trying to jockey for position. Always trying to do that. But if you ask Jacob, Jacob, who are you wrestling with? Who are you wrestling with? You know what Jacob said this night? He said, I am wrestling with who? Esau. I'm wrestling with Esau. Esau's the problem in my life. I've been res- I wrestled with him in the tomb. And that's why I was holding onto his heel as we came out. And when we came out, I said, Esau, this battle isn't over yet. The whole, my whole life, I'm wrestling with Jake. I'm wrestling with Esau for the blessing of my father, for the leadership of my family. Esau is the problem in my life. He's the reason why I haven't had the life I wanted to live. He's the reason my life, my life has gone the way it has. Esau is the problem in my life. He is the main issue in my life. And God shows up at night and God wrestles him down. And what does God say to Jacob? Jacob, the main problem in your life isn't Esau. The main problem in your life is who? The main problem in your life is not them. It's my brother. It's my father. God says, you thought the climax of your life would be tomorrow when you wrestle with your brother. The climax of your life is tonight. 
Jacob, don't you see that your entire life you've been wrestling, grasping for what? Listen, please, for control of your life. The whole life, your whole life, you've been wrestling with all these people and saying, I'm going to, why? To control your life, to run your life your own way, to be your own savior and Lord, to run your life in such a way that you are going to deceive, you're going to manipulate, you're going to do whatever it takes. But if you could just have the blessing, your whole life, your battle isn't them, her, him, your whole life, your battle has been with me for the control of your life. To be your own savior and Lord. comes along to you and me. God comes along to Jacob and says, the main issue in your life is not them, her, him. The main issue in your life is you and your desire to control your life and run your life the way you want to and nobody tells me what to do and I'm going to... The Bible says over and over again, and we talk about this all the time in this church, Christian or not, Sin makes us want to live lives independent of God. That's the essence of sin. The essence of sin and what ails us is that although we've been created for a life of dependence and intimacy with our creator, we creatures have decided we are going to build our own God and gods and run our lives our own way. The Bible says over and over again that the essence of sin and what ails humanity is that we continue to put ourselves in the place of God. We continue to put ourselves in the place of where God belongs. And by the way, there are two ways that you can do that. And we talk about this in our church a lot too, right? One way is to break all the moral rules. One way is to break all the rules and say, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to. And nobody else tells me anything. So I'm going to deceive, I'm going to lie, I'm going to cheat, I'm going to do a one-up everybody and run my life the way I want to. The other way is actually the opposite, which is to keep all the rules, to be a good moral person. Because then we say to God, God, you have no control over my life. You can't tell me what to do. Look at all I do for you. Hmm. One makes you a criminal. The other makes you self-righteous. And both types of people make the world a miserable place. Both are ways of being your own savior and your own Lord. Both are ways of soul-distorting self-centeredness and pride. You know what the solution is? Solution is repentance. Solution is repentance. Rather than complaining. You know what repentance is? I know, big churchy word. Repentance, oh my gosh. You know, bring memories of hellfire, brimstone. Repent, repent. Repentance is not feeling sorry for yourself or inducing guilt. Repentance is simply opting for dependence. Repentance is opting for dependence. And that's what we see Jacob doing here. He's changing his entire strategy in life. His entire life is being, I am going to live independent of God. I am going to live in strength my own way. He realizes and encounters God, and he says, now I choose an opt for dependence. I choose an opt for dependence, utter reliance. Repentance is opting for dependence. And when you look carefully at the text, You see that Jacob, for the first time, isn't fighting against God. He is now fighting for God. He's fighting for God. He changed his entire life strategy. He says, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to take the route of weakness. I'm going to fight for dependence instead of fighting for independence. Can I just tell you something? Do you know it takes a lot more strength and a lot more courage to offer dependence rather than independence. Jacob became more of a man this night when he chose the route of dependence. Let me put it another way. It takes a lot more strength, a lot more courage, a lot more man in you and me and woman in you and woman in in you. (laughs) I don't rehearse of these things, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know what I mean, okay? A lot more humanity in us. It takes a lot more courage. Can I just, let me just speak to the guys first, okay? Men, 
There's nothing stronger, there's nothing more courageous than a man who has submitted and yielded and surrendered his life to Jesus. There's nothing stronger than a man who has said, I am broken and I choose dependence over independence. I choose the route of weakness. It doesn't take strength to be a bully. It doesn't take strength to go, I'm a man, I'm strong, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to. True strength is like Jesus, who had all authority in heaven on earth, and yet he submitted unto God, and he went to the cross. He had all authority to do whatever the heck he wanted to, and yet he hangs on the cross, looks out and says, forgive them, they know not what they do. Are you tracking? It takes enormous strength to depend, to surrender, to submit, to yield. Second thing that Jacob changes, not just his strategy, but he changes his goal. Look at the text. He says, bless me. Bless me. And what does Jacob say? He doesn't say, bless me. So give me the leadership. Give me the family. Give me the place. He says, bless me. He says, tell me your name. Tell me your name. And we know that as the sun comes up, he sees the outline of this mysterious figure and he sees the face of God. And what does Jacob say? Jacob says, now I get it. What's the blessing? You, God. You're the blessing. Jacob's entire life has been about the blessing. He grows up his entire life devoid of this inner blessing. When you look, if you have time, go back on Jacob's life and look carefully at the text. Look carefully at the passages and you see a man devoid of inner blessing. And there's a kind of hole. I mean, we can so relate to Jacob, a kind of hole, kind of emptiness, a kind of vacuum. You see a man, he's not convinced of his own beauty. He's not convinced of his own worth. He's not convinced of his own value. So what's he doing? He's out there constantly wrestling, constantly grappling, constantly, you know, conniving and cheating. Why? Why is he constantly trying to one-up everybody? He wants the blessing. To fill the hole, to fill the inner vacuum. But suddenly the penny drops, and here is the essence of spiritual transformation. Jacob goes living his entire life from using God as a means to an end to finally realizing that God is the end itself. He's lived his entire life. You remember him negotiating with God at the end of Genesis 28? Jacob says, God, if you will get me, if you will help me get the leadership of the family... If you help me get the leadership of the family, then I will serve you. You know what Jacob is saying? Jacob is saying, there is the blessing. There is the blessing. The leadership. There is the blessing. The relationship. There is the blessing. To be CEO. There is the blessing. And he's lived his entire life using God as a means to stand. Saying, God, help me get it. The blessing. You know, the, the blessing that I need. And the blessing that I want. Help me get it. All of a sudden, the penny drops. Transformation. And he's realizing. The blessing is here. The blessing is right here. I've lived my entire life looking for approval from my father, the inner blessing. And yet Jacob says, the blessing of approval is here. I've lived my entire life looking for the inner blessing of beauty. That's why I did all that to get my beautiful wife, Rachel. But the inner blessing of beauty is right here. Here's the beauty behind the beauty. Here is the approval behind the approval. The blessing isn't out there. The blessing is here. It's right here. Right here. You're the blessing. You're the blessing. You can tell when someone has moved and has been spiritually transformed when they go from using God as a means to an end, saying, God, will you help me get that? There's the blessing. There's the blessing. There's the blessing to saying, the blessing is here. I want you. I want you. I, I can't go back to Rachel. I can't go back to Esau. I can't even go back to my father, Isaac. The blessing is here. Here. Right in Well, 
Last week after I preached the sermon, somebody came up and said, oh, no, you didn't go there. I said, what do you mean? He said, you actually expect us to pray this prayer, God, bring anything into my life as long as I have you. God, take anything, anything from my life. And she said, she's like, take anything from my life as long as I have you. Like anything, like job, like relationship, take anything away as long as I have you. All that matters is that I have you. Did you really say that? And I said, yeah, I did. The essence of spiritual transformation. Anyone who has tasted the reality of God. Because if you sit there and go, that's just crazy. I mean, who would say that? Who, would, who in their right mind would pray, bring anything into my life? Bring cancer? Bring death? Bring loss? Bring what, anything into my life as long as I have you? Who would be crazy enough to go, take anything from my life as long as I have you? All that matters I have you. Who in their right mind would pray that? That's crazy. If you think that, you haven't tasted the reality of God because anyone who has tasted the reality of God knows that anything is worth losing for this. And nothing, I tell you, nothing, absolutely nothing is worth keeping if you don't have this. Nothing. When I sit in my office and I get a lot of people who come in for counseling, <laughs> to some of the essence of their issue, or that be you know relationship, whatever, to some of their issues, they come and say, "Pastor Peter, can you can you really help me because because I know what the center of my life is. I know what the ultimate value in my life is. You know, can you can you help me get it? That's why somebody will come and say, I broke up with my girlfriend.'" Or I broke up with my boyfriend, they come in, they're crushed, and they go, can you, can you pray for me? And you know what they want me to pray for? They want me to pray that they would get him or her back, or that they would find another. And I refuse to go there. I go, what's the center of your life? I lost my job, and I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm not just discouraged, but I'm crushed. I'm absolutely crushed. Why are you crushed? So you... Okay, so as we go to God in prayer, is your prayer, God, help me to find a job because that's my thing. That's my blessing. Or, God, the center is you. And it'd be great to have a job. It'd be great to be in a relationship. But ultimately, the center is you. And I love the fact that the sign that Jacob has really changed is that he's holding on. And I got to keep going this, you guys. Despite the pain. He's holding on despite the danger. Jacob's literally saying, I'm not going to let you go even though I'm in pain and even though you are hinting that those who see the face of God are in mortal peril. He says, I will not let you go. You're all I have. You're all I have. It's the disciples after the 5,000 have been fed and they hear the challenge of Jesus, they walk away and, the, and Jesus looks at them and says, you, you don't want to go too, do you? And they look at Jesus and they go, where, where can we go? You are the bread of life. You are the bread of life. God might be saying to you today, child of God, that your lack of relationship with me is the problem beneath all your problems. And a relationship with me is the solution behind all your solutions. Jacob went through losing. Jesus also, though, went through losing. Let's talk about Jesus. I'm sorry, but I just love Jesus. I find him so beautiful. I find him so attractive. I find him so incredible. And it's because I continue to come to the truth like this. How does Jesus win? How does God win through losing? By not descending in power and judgment, but by coming in weakness. <laughs> what would have happened if God had come in power? What would have happened if God had come in power? What would have happened to Jacob? Tell me. What would have happened to Jacob? God, Jacob would have been 
goner. If God had come in full power, he would have incinerated Jacob. There would be no Jacob left. He would have lost Jacob. And you know what else? He would lose us all. If God had come in power, he would lose us all. God had to come in weakness. He had to come restraining his glory. I talked about this last week. Jacob is smitten in grace. Why? He gets nearly nothing of what he deserves. And not only that, but the smite that he gets, the strike that Jacob gets hurts him, but it hurts him just enough to wake him up and make him great. Why is it? How is it that in fighting God, Jacob's only struck in grace? Why is he not struck in justice? Why does he not get the full weight of God's justice on him? Why is Jacob struck in grace so that he walks away with the limp, but a transformed person into greatness? Why? Here it is. The thigh. The thigh. Do you notice why God hits Jacob's thigh? When you look up every place in the Old Testament for thigh, for example, here's one. When Abraham sends his servant to go look for a son, for his son Isaac, he tells his servant, servant, hey, I want you to put your hand under my thigh and I want you to swear that you'll do as I say. And so the servant puts his hand under Abraham's thigh and he swears. The thigh, every single place in the Old Testament, is a euphemistic reference for organ of reproduction. In other words, you're swearing on your descendants. <laughs> and God touches Jacob in his thigh. Why? He's saying, Jacob, the reason why you're just going to be struck in grace and smitten in grace is because after you will come someone, one of your descendants, who I will strike. With the full weight of my justice. With the full weight of my glory. After you will come someone who will stand in place of every person that's rebelled, every person that's fought God, every person who's rebelled, he will stand in that place, one of your descendants, that's why I'm hitting your thigh, one of your descendants, and he will take all of their places, and I will not hold back. I will put all the weight of my justice and wrath on him, and he will hold on. He will not let me go. Why? For you and for me. Why does Jesus hang on the cross and say, I will not come down. I will not let go. He's thinking of you. He's thinking of me. He's looking at all of us and saying, for them, Father, I will take the curse of the law which they break in order that they will get the blessing. I will be cursed so that they will be blessed. The gospel says the one who deserved to be blessed therefore was cursed. Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 53, therefore, he was, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And we seem stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He's pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. You want to know what the gospel is? The gospel is Jacob broken and limping and down on his fours. And God says, winner! Why? That's the gospel that comes to a... That's the gospel that comes to a bad person and says, in Christ, good. You can be good. God comes to a sinner and says, in Christ, righteous. God comes to the unholy who can't enter the presence of God and says, in Christ, come in. Come in. The gospel comes along and says to those who have nothing to offer but their shame, guilt, and sin, and God covers them, cleanses them, redeems them, lifts them up, and lifts their hands and says, Winner. If you're not a Christian, can I just speak to you for a second and then I'll talk to you Christians and we're done. Do you know what the ultimate irony is? There's nothing more loving than a weak God. (laughs) Our world is just so, 
There's nothing more loving than a weak God. There's more loving than a God who says, all power, all authority, the creator, but I'm going to lay that aside and become weak. But only a holy God would have to be weak. Only a holy God would have to be weak. In other words, only a holy God, a God of justice, who has to pay the penalty himself for us is loving enough to become weak. Why is that important? Because one of the things I hear all the time in our culture is, you know, I, wanna, I want a God who just loves everybody, you know? That's the kind of God I want. And I want to look at them and go, you know, I have never heard somebody who says, you know, I believe in a God who just loves everybody, and so my life was transformed. How would a God who doesn't have to become weak, how would a God who doesn't have to do anything and just loves everybody, how is that God going to transform and change your life? You know what changes people's lives? is looking at a God who said, he did that for me. He did that for me. He became weak for me. He took the full weight of God's wrath and justice for me. He did that for me. He held on for me. So if you say, yeah, you know what? I I hate a God of wrath and just and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to. Fine. Then you know what? You will never be transformed because that will not melt you. That will not break your heart. That will not make you want to fall down before the cross and say, I'm yours. I'm yours. Take all of me. I'm yours. Only a God who is loving enough to become utterly, totally weak. It's the kind of God that could come and change you. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, and you're sitting here because I've been talking about encountering God, Barnabas, you can come up wherever you are. You're not a Christian, you've been sitting here and you've been here encountering God. I, I just want to say this. And you're sitting there going, you know, Peter, I've been on search for God, I've been seeking God, and I don't know if I'll find him. <laughs> I don't know if I'll find him, you know. And I genuinely want to know him and this God that you're talking about. There's something about him that I go, oh, there's something beautiful that attracts me to him. By the way, if that's your reaction, that's a good sign because that's what people thought of Jesus. And you're saying, I don't know. And you're, you're stressful. You're anxious. And you don't know if you're going to find God. The only reason why you're anxious is because you're giving yourself too much credit. <laughs> the Bible says you can't miss God. You're not capable of missing God. The reason why you're searching for God is because God has already been searching for you. The reason why you're seeking God is because God has already been seeking after you. A sign of God's absence in your heart, a sense of God's absence is the sign of God's presence. The fact that you say, God, I need you. I see. I want to seek after you. means that God will reveal some to you. Don't, don't be anxious. Don't, don't fret. Continue to seek him. He, he's after you. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, can I just say this? Um, if you're building your life on things and you're saying, the blessing there, the blessing's there, the blessing's there. Do you know what suffering will do? Suffering will tear you away, pull you away. From the ultimate source of your joy. You're building your life on that thing. And that's what suffering is. Suffering comes and takes that away. Relationship, that thing, it takes it away. And what suffering will do, if you're building your life on things, the blessing, the blessing, suffering will come, take it away, and you're going to get madder and madder, sadder and sadder, because the very thing that you're after is being taken away. But check this out. What if you build your life on God? Do you know what suffering does? Check this out. It's all right. You build your life on God. And these things are taken away. But you build your life on God. He's your ultimate worth. He's your ultimate value. He's your ultimate joy. You know what suffering will do? It will drive you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into him. Into him. Source of your true joy. This morning uh, is, is, is a crossroad for some of us. It's, it's, it's where rubber meets the road. Is that how you say it? Uh, because I, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, all this stuff. Here's what I want to ask you this morning. Can you, Christian, pray, God, bring anything into my life as long as I have you? That's the blessing. You're the blessing. Take anything from my life as long as I have you. Can you pray that? And God will answer your prayer, by the way. 
the beginning of spiritual transformation. So, uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you, if you're willing to pray that prayer with me, to stand. Please don't get up. If you can't say it and you don't mean it, please don't. But if you're at a place in your life where you can say, I'm done fighting you. I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up from where you are, knowing that God will answer this prayer. God will answer this prayer. I'll wait a little bit more. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want you to do this. Put, put, your, put your hands out. Anybody else that want to stand, you join us. Put your hands out. And I want you to say this prayer from the bottom and depths of your heart. It simply goes like this, God, bring anything into my life as long as I have you. God, take anything from my life as long as I have you. All that matters is that I have you. Your blessing. Where can I go? Where can I go? Where can I go? You have the bread of life. Where can I go? Those of you that are standing, hands lifted up in utter surrender, pray, will you? I'll give you a moment to pray. If the Holy Spirit lays specific things on your heart, that you would pray that. No fancy words needed. Our, we stand, God, in your presence. Our hands, our lives, our arms ultimately stretched out to you. All I have is yours. All I have is yours. All I have is yours. In a moment, we're going to sing this song of response together. And if you're sitting down today, and you are a child of God who has offered, surrender, yielded your life to Jesus, radical fire for him, pray for the brothers and sisters that are standing around you. And if you're somebody who said, I cannot say that, Peter. No matter what, I cannot say that. That's okay. God, I pray for that child. I pray for that son, daughter. I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would come. And God, you're an untamed God, but you're also powered, powerful God of comfort and of love. Speak to that child. Speak to that child. Speak to that child. Jesus.
He is a good, loving creator, isn't he? He is a good, loving creator who loves you, who loves you, who loves you, who loves you. Live your life this week full of confident joy as you go deeper and deeper and deeper into Christ. Lay down, surrender, submit. Be radically given over to Christ and to the mission of Christ as you live each day. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He goes beside you. Son, daughter of God. Go forth in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, and all God's people said, amen. Hope you guys stick around for the barbecue. Love to get to know you, connect with you. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you back here as we continue Acts Church Without Walls next week.